This is Graham Atwell welcoming you to Sounds of the Bazaar, the live radio programme of the European Conference on Educational Research. And to our listeners around the world, just to explain, this conference is taking place in Cadiz, in the south of Spain. It's warm, there's a beautiful blue sky. And I'm actually broadcasting at the moment from a courtyard, which is one of the many courtyards in the university, open-air courtyards, where there's coffee going on. So I've got a captive audience. They want the coffee. We've got three programmes lined up for you from the... ECR conference this year. This is the first. We're running to 11 o'clock Central European time today. And tomorrow we'll be back from 10.30 till 11 o'clock live again. And once more, a real feature, we're having a late afternoon show, 1500 to 15.30. Live, live internet radio, live conferences. And we've got a team here, and I'll introduce you later on to some of the team. But first of all, I'm going to hand over to Jenny Hughes, who's going to be interviewing many of the people we got on today's show. It's a great show lined up. And we've got Jennifer Collins from the ERA office. ERA, in case you don't know, is the European Educational Research Association who runs this conference. And I guess it's a fair bit of hard work running it. And Jennifer Collins is going to be telling Jenny some of the things they do and how the conference is organised. Over to you, Jenny. Jenny, good morning. Can I just say, first of all, thank you and the ERA team so much for getting it all together here. It's been brilliant. Oh, thanks very much. I'm glad that you've been enjoying it. Yeah. So can you tell me what your job actually is? Um, yeah, so I work part-time at the ERA office, basically just helping to organise the ERA conference every year and the Easter conference every year and then other network meetings and different things, events that we have on as well. But the Easter conference is a major, major part of the year and ma- major organisation goes into that, so, yeah. And it takes you the whole year to prepare for it? More or less. I mean, yeah, up from... We kind of have a lull after the conference, but then from the beginning of January or so, then it really kind of starts in earnest with organising, Yeah. So can you give us some facts and figures about the conference this year? I mean, how many people are here? Where are they from? So there are about 2,700 people here. So it's just getting bigger and bigger every year, you know. And there are people from over 80 countries around the world. So we have people from as far away as Australia, the US, Mexico. And then we also have Turkish, um, Spanish, uh, Great Britain, Ireland. Scandinavian countries are always a big contingent as well. Yeah. So have there been any real disasters beforehand? Um, well, not, nothing major. I mean, the usual kind of things being sent and getting lost in the post and um, that kind of stuff. But we've been, we've been okay, I think, yeah. So how did you feel when the show finally went on the road yesterday or the day before? Uh, on Monday? Um, yeah, it was pretty good. It's always a bit uh, tense on the first day because you don't know if everything is going to work out. And um, Especially the Tuesday when the main conference starts, that's our busiest day and that's the day we have the most problems. Um, that's, you know, but we did a lot of troubleshooting and the Spanish team has been really, really great. So um, we managed to sort everything out. So, yeah. It's been and for the rest of it, it's been brilliant. Yes. Jenny, thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Yes, and uh, once more I'm back in the courtyard. That was Jenny Hughes from our inside office. We've got our little communication problems here because I'm trying to work out quite who's lined up for the next interview. And I think we've got coming on, we've got a fabulous show for you today. I'm sorry, sorry I'm not getting much music in. We will get some music later. But we've got lined up next, I think we've got Tina Besley and, and, and Tina Besley and Michael A. Peters from the University of Waikato in New Zealand. And they're going to be talking to us. One of the big topics at this conference is interculturalism. I was looking at the programme and the whole issue of culture, interculturalism between countries, between Europe, between South America it is a huge issue running through many of the 27 networks which make up the conference and they're going to be talking to you about to us to Jenny about interculturalism education and dialogue over to you Jenny in the studio hi well I'm sitting here talking to Tina and Michael who I think have got the record for coming the furthest distance because they're both from New Zealand so I'm just going to ask them just why they're here we're here because, in fact, we've been to these conferences several years ago, especially when, when we lived in Glasgow and worked at University of Glasgow. And uh, we're presenting work which includes a lot of European authors, several of whom are here, in a book called Interculturalism, Education and Dialogue. That was a good advertisement, just by the book. <laughs> the other thing I'd like to ask you is, because you actually work and live in New Zealand now, is the agenda for education significantly different there? Are the issues different? There are local issues associated with the um, native population, the Māori people, and with Pacific Island um, people as well. But really, most of the issues are very similar because we, look, we all live in this globalised world and um, they're very similar, I think, to what they are in the UK and the USA. OK, I'm going to talk to Michael now. Michael, you co-authored the book with your wife. Yes, that's correct, yep. What's it like working with your wife on a book? Do you argue? Do you always agree on everything? Oh, no. No, part of the process of uh, writing a book is disagreement, and you have to negotiate that disagreement, and you have to also respect different opinion, because not everybody in the book speaks with one voice. So this is a collection of many different voices who express different opinions, and not only European, but also um, people from the United States and from Latin America and from... Oceania and, you know, from Latin, um, you know, the, um, the uh, let's say, down under, the Australasian. I, I don't like saying Australasian because that eclipses New Zealand and the islands, really. When you say Australasian, you, you're talking about it in continental terms, you know, so... Um, you've worked in Europe and you've worked in Australasia. And, uh, and the US. And the US. Yes. Are there fundamental differences culturally in the way that research is taking place in education there? Yes, I think there are big differences between uh, Europe on the one hand, which is very influenced by a social model of Europe, where you know, education is seen as part of the social model of Europe. There's a different kind of ethics associated with that. And then I think an Anglo-American neoliberal kind of um, global education policy. Um, and then I think uh, in Latin America is very different again. So there are certainly different traditions, different native traditions, while at the same time there is a kind of a incipient global logic that is trying to modernise everything 
into a kind of homogenous uniformity. Michael? Tina, thanks very much for coming and share that with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Sounds of the Bazaar, live, live from ECR. Live internet radio. We're broadcasting three programmes for the benefits of those of you who are in the courtyard now, uh, having your coffee, queuing up. We're broadcasting three live internet radio programmes from the conference today and tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning and tomorrow at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And look, there's lots of you here. Some of you have got great presentations. Some of you have got wonderful things to say. If you'd like to come on tomorrow's radio programme and talk to the rest of the world about it, uh, just come over to our desk over just through the door off the courtyard and we'll be delighted to fit you in for a session. Anyway, Sounds of the Bazaar, live internet radio. We'll have a musical break now and we'll be back in a short while with another great interview. Sounds of the Bazaar live. And it's Graham Atwell back here again, live from the ECR conference, live in beautiful, sunny Cadiz in Spain. And I've got in front of me, besides my phone, which you can probably hear going off solidly in the background, I've got Danny Durrant here, who is from the British Educational Research Association, because it's London 2014. No, it's not the Olympics. That was London 2012. It's London 2014. And it's going to be the ERA conference in London. First, I've heard of it, Danny. Can you tell me more about it? it yes, the uh, 2014 ESA will be at the Institute of Education in London from the 22nd to the 26th of September in two years' time. Uh, brilliant. And for those people who don't know where the Institute is, that's uh, the Institute of Education. What does the Institute do? It's, it's a, I mean, a major um, education centre in the centre of London. Um, as a venue for a conference of this size, it's, it's excellent. Uh, plenty of teaching rooms and classrooms um, and lecture halls available. The area is surrounded by hotels of, of a wide range of prices and styles and, and, and so on. Um, and it's also excellent for um, access. Um, if, there are, if people are, are coming in by air... There are five airports surrounding London in which they can fly to. I suspect a, um, a good number of delegates may come on the train on Eurostar. And if you, they come in Eurostar, that comes into St Pancras Station. St Pancras Station is approximately two kilometres from the venue. 
and in between St Pancras and the venue, lots of hotels um, for, for people to use the accommodation. I was laughing because uh, any UK researcher, I guess, in education will know of the Tavi. You only have to say the Tavistock uh, Hotel to anyone because we've all been to the Institute and we all stay in the Tavi. And to advertise the Tavi, it's not probably the greatest of hotels, but it's certainly the cheapest in the middle of London by the Institute. But I know you said the Institute's big, hmm. but... 2,700 delegates at this year's conference and every year it's more. Are you going to be able to cope with 3,000? It's going to be an Olympic style operation. Uh, it's, yes, certainly uh, a, you know, a, a big job um, for some of the, some of the aspects. The, the academic programme um, I, I don't have particular problems. I mean, you know, it'll be a high quality research conference as, as always. For the social events and, and, and so on then obviously, you know, finding space for 3,000 delegates to, to mingle and drink and chat and eat and all the rest of it, um, you know, will, 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 be, will be a challenge. I mean, one thing I, I think I can probably promise um, is not this blue sky. Um, I mean, London, London, London weather is... London what, what can I say? Yeah, I, I, variable. I mean, today, today in London, um, it's fine. In London, in two years' time... It, it might be wet. Just one last thing, Danny, because we have to move on. Is Do you have, and I know all the conferences do have a theme. Has, has a theme for London 2014 been arranged yet? The, the academic theme is being discussed um, at the moment between the, uh, the, the, the organising committee and ERA, ERA Council and so on. And over the next six months, that will... Um, be, be crystallised and, and, and formalised and so on. But I think London 2014 will be an excellent conference because as well as the academic theme, there'll also be celebration. Uh, 2014 is ERA's 20th birthday, so we want to put on a, a big party. Uh, 2014 is also the British Association's 40th birthday, so we want to put on a party for that. And 2014 is also the first time the European Conference will have been in England since 1995 um, when it was at Bath and so on. So we want to put on a party for that. So it'll be, it'll be good. I remember Bath. OK, thanks very much, Danny. So London 2014 and tomorrow we're going to have the Istanbul people on. I'm not quite sure who is on now, but I'm handing over to Jenny, who I think has got Helen Manchester and several of her colleagues and she's going to be talking to them about policy, I think. Over to you, Jen. Right, I'm talking today to Kerry Facer, Howard Baker and Helen Manchester, who are talking to us about their research in open learning. So who's going to start us off? Just tell us what you've been doing. Okay, so the project that we've been doing is thinking about how people learn across the life course and then how you might be able to use the digital footprint that you leave behind you in your life to help you think about your learning. Um, and we've been doing a whole load of empirical work with um, 83 different individuals. We've been working with people who are 80, 90 years old as well as six-year-olds in order to see how they record their life, how they make sense of it and how they use it to reflect upon their learning. So... Sorry. I was going to say one of the very interesting things about the project was some of the methods that we used, which involved um, asking people from the age of 23 to 84 to record their learning lives using iPods and the app Evernote. And from this experience, we got all kinds of 
data that recorded live learning events that were really fascinating. So somebody would just have their iPod and go, oh, this is a really interesting conversation. I feel like I'm learning something. They would press record and we would therefore have the access to this data to discuss with the person who'd recorded it about what it meant for their learning. And Howard, what role do you play on this project? Um, I work for the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, the UK's uh, public service broadcaster. We uh, do a lot around learning and lifelong learning. Um, and we use uh, our philosophy is that we use our broadcast content as a spark for learning. So we were very interested in this concept of, of what is lifelong learning, what is learning that comes from an informal, you know, my interests, and how is that, how is that stored, how is that used, how do I pick up something, say it at the age of 10, 11, 12, you know, from a beep program, how does that affect the rest of my life, and how do I pick up that data, how do I use it later in my life to inform some decisions I make, to sort of work some things out, um, to reflect on my life course and, and to make some important decisions in my life. So the BBC are, are extremely interested in that because their proposition is use our material, use our broadcast, news our used news to do that sort of stuff. So we funded this research. That's brilliant. Now, from an individual's point of view, what's going to be the practical implications for me 10 years down the line? You've done the research. How does this take the next step and translate into practice? Um, I think for all of us that um, as educators, uh, but as, as individuals as well, we need to become much more aware of our own data footprint, the kinds of data that is being collected about us, the kind of data that we can collect about ourselves, and in terms of the implications for learning, how we can then make sense of and use that data to make more sense of our learning lives. So I think it's an awareness... That, uh, of, of what's going on in terms of data. I don't know if Kerry wants to say some more about that. I was just going to ask, in a standard-obsessed UK at the moment, with a, govern, uh, a government who's absolutely neurotic about accreditation and recognition, how's that going to work? Oh, well, there's an interesting issue there. I mean, our, our interest here is a democratic one. Our view is you ought to be able to have control and ownership of your own data, your own experiences. You ought to be able to make sense of that in a way that's very important for yourselves. My genuine view is that actually the standards um, obsession will at some point go away. So our aim is to do the blue skies work that's going to make us ready for that day. Um, it's also the basis for us starting to lobby and to work and make the case for democratic ownership of our data um, and for education that actually meets all of our needs rather than the needs of the database. Michael Gove, eat your heart out. Thank you very much indeed for that. Back to the studio, back to music. Thank you. Thank you very much. Candy. I got an old for everyone. Down is an old for 
sounds of the bizarre live, live internet radio from the European Conference on Educational Research in beautiful, sunny Cadiz. And it's lovely here. And one of the things with the conference every year is there's a small but keen and enthusiastic, and they keep coming back, collection of publishers who come every year. I'm never quite sure if they sell anything. It always looks good. I look around the store, and so I guess there are lots of conference delegates. And I've got Philip Mudd from Routledge here. Have you been here before, Philip, or is this your first year? Uh, I've been to ECR for a few years running now, and I think it's one of the yeah, really exciting conferences to come to. I think they pick great places, and so everyone's in a good mood, everyone's relaxed, and also year on year the delegate numbers seem to be increasing. And so that's the faces now that I've met you know, since Crete, which is the first one I went to, and um, yeah, I, I will be get going for this as many years I, as I can, I think. It's 2,700 delegates I heard this year. I think all of And- Andalusia, I mean, I couldn't get uh, accommodation here in the city. You know, I'm staying out at Puerto uh, Santa Maria, and I think, but so is a lot of other delegates. Puerto Santa Maria takes that 10, 15 kilometres away, seems to be taken over by the conference. But what, what do publishers get out of being here, do you think? I, th- I think it's a mixture. I'm from the editorial side, so it means that I have a lot of my authors are here giving papers or keynote speeches, and basically many of the people I have to deal with normally by email. I can meet over a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, and it's, it's a different way of doing business in a, in a relaxed atmosphere. Uh, and I suppose the big question, because I mean we work mainly on technology-enhanced uh, learning, but the big issue is, what's the future for editorial publishers now? Uh, I mean, now everything's going digital, it's all iPads, it's e-books. How are you going to deal with that sort of change coming in? Will you still be here in three years' time? Oh, we'll, well, we'll be here, and but probably in a different type of presentation. Well, I think that a number of publishers, we're not alone, have been investing a lot of money into making sure that digital versions of our product matches the needs of the audience. Uh, we've been gradually digitising all of our backlist as well, so it means that all of our books now come out automatically as hard copy and digital ebook. And we're actually bringing out some fully interactive textbooks later this year, which is an attempt to get students to use things in different ways. I think the real issues that traditional publishers face are that um, books are very linear. They go from page one to page 240. And as soon as you start to chop and things around, students and academics will be using things in a very different way. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's not just digitising. Could we just come this way a bit? Because we're just getting a bit of feedback, I think, creeping in uh, off the speakers behind us. So those of you listening live on the radio, we've got two speakers out in a, in a square in the open air in the university, and we'll just get a bit of feedback there. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's going to be publishing, but not publishing as we know it. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that we're finding an increasing number of sales of our e-books anyway. And what we're noticing is that it's not students who are actually using them. We, I think that most publishers assumed it was going to be the young kids who've been brought up on using you know, digit, digital material from an early age. But it's mainly institutions who are using it and linking it so that people have access from different sites. And so there's threats and opportunities. Definitely. 
Well, thank you very much for talking to us today. I hope we'll come and talk to you next year again because we could keep this meme up a bit and we can play you back to what you said and see where it goes. I, I'm definitely going to Istanbul, so I shall see you there. Okay, thank you very much. And now it's that bit of Sounds of the Bizarre Life that we love most. We call it in the trade the Vox Pops. Those of you who aren't listening, <laughs> and there's a few of you, are just about to be descended on because Jenny is about to burrow into the order, into the people sitting around here drinking coffee to find out their views of the conference. Jen, have a go at them. There's some very terrified looking people here standing next to me now, which I'm going to interrupt their conversation to just no check out. No such loud voices. No such loud voices? Not such loud voices. I'm here, so I'll, I'll be totally quiet. So, what's your name? Where do you come from? Yeah, uh, my name is Winfried and I come from Switzerland. And what's been the most interesting part of the conference for you so far? Pardon? What's been the most interesting part of the conference so far? The coffee bar. <laughs> I can sympathise with that. All right, let's find somebody else here who's going to talk to me. Sorry, can I ask your name? Magella Dempsey. And you're from? Ireland. What's been, what sort of things have you been doing at the conference? What sort of sessions have you been to? A lot of my sessions have been with Network 3, which is around curriculum and schools, and they've all been very, very interesting. Uh, this morning I was at a session where there was two people from Germany that presented, and it was all about textbooks and about change and teachers using uh, curriculum materials. And then a very interesting one from Netherlands around how the curriculum space gets filled up by uh, textbooks and the quality of textbooks and the use of digital materials and who makes decisions around that. So it, I've really enjoyed the conference and of course Cadiz is beautiful. It's lovely to be in the sunshine after rainy Ireland. <laughs> I can sympathise with that too, coming from Wales. Okay, everybody's run away from me now. Hang on, I'm just going to go and attack some more people here. Sorry, can I just ask your name? Laura. Laura, where are you from? Barcelona. You didn't have so far to travel to this conference. You didn't have to travel very far to this conference. Um, a little bit, yeah. Fly to Sevilla and then the train here, yeah. What sort of things have you been doing at the conference? Um, I arrived on Tuesday and I had two presentations and yesterday I had another one. Yeah, and now I'm listening and learning yeah, and speaking with colleagues. What were your presentations on? My presentations were about uh, rural school and multi-grade, multi-age teaching, and yeah, I'm finishing my PhD on this topic. Tell me some more about your research into rural schools, because it's an area I'm interested in. Are you interesting? Yeah, we, we were. He is a specialist too <laughs> in rural school from Switzerland. We are talking about this now. I'm going to see who you are then. I'm Rob. Hello. Do you want to talk to me about rural schools issues? Um, well, um, rural schools have a problem because uh, they are small and uh, they have dwindling numbers of pupils. And if we want to save them, we have to introduce new forms of teaching. And is this part of Network 14? Pardon? Is this part of Network 14? Because I was talking yesterday mm. to... Was I talking to Linda Hargreaves? And she was talking to me about rural schools oh, too. Okay. Uh, no, we presented with Network 3, I think, uh, curriculum innovations, because it, um, it, it's about school innovation, it's about school improvement, it's about rural schools, it's about new teaching forms, 
there are a lot of uh, networks involved, I think. I, for example, I present in inclusion because for me the new methodologies and strategies in rural school are more inclusive yeah. than others. Yeah, it, because rural school is a topic that it's very, it's difficult to put it in some because I think it it, it is a, a type of a school yeah. and it is in every everywhere. No, it's. Which is going to close the program? In moment. So I was wondering whether, because you come from Barcelona, can you just say something about the conference and your impressions of it in Spanish or Catalan? About the conference? Your impressions of the conference, but can we have it in Spanish? Ah, in, in, in español. Ah, bueno, yo, yo, yo estoy muy contenta y creo que, que está saliendo todo muy bien. Cádiz es una ciudad muy acogedora. Es pequeñita, pero muy acogedora y pienso que hay muy buen, muy buen clima y que también se come muy bien y la gente es muy acogedora y muy amistosa. Gracias. <laughs> okay, back to Graham. Okay, that's been a great program. Wonderful stuff. We're up on a half hour and we don't want to disturb any of the learned professors here and their students who are doing exams. It's been absolutely wonderful. And the great thing about ERA is I think you'll find that this conference is the many different people coming from different areas about education and learning come on the program. Don't go away. Well, you can go away now. But we will be back tomorrow, and we hope you're going to be back tomorrow from 10 to 10.30 and 3 to 3.30 on Sounds of the Bazaar, live, live from Cadiz in Spain. Oh, do don't.